to the Live Vegan Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Leahy, and I am joined once again by my co-host, Ben Lois. This is episode two, Attack of the hey, Flies. We made it to two. <laughs> we did. We made it to episode two. Uh, and it's, we have a really exciting episode for you guys today because we have our first ever guest, and his name is Ryan Phillips. I believe he is very famous on Facebook and all over social media. He has a very colorful resume. He has dedicated his entire life to the animal rights movement. He fights for animal awareness and sentience and fights against cruelty and suffering. And this guy is a man of action. I really, really am inspired by what he has done. Uh, he's not afraid to say what he thinks. So cover your children's ears if they are listening, because he's probably going to swear. And uh, he is the opposite of a shy activist. He's, he's very inspiring for those people who have intellectualized the ideas of right and wrong, but haven't yet put them into action. Uh, that's exactly what Ryan does. He puts ideas into action. And that's why I really, really am happy to have him as our guest. Um, he's an artist. You might know him from Art from a Vegan Heart. He's created paintings. He's the um, he's the cartoonist behind the Carnies, which is like if South Park went vegan. Really funny stuff. He's published a children's book. He's been banned from Trader Joe's. He's been kicked out of Walmart. Uh, I told you, a really colorful resume. This is the kind of stuff you want on your resume. And uh, he stood on a street corner for 136 days straight in Virginia, holding up protest signs for animals. So this guy is a man of persistence. And he has adopted three pigs, I believe, three pigs, and is currently traveling the USA with one of his pigs to college campuses, giving talks about animal rights. Uh, so he's on a mission, a very successful mission, to awaken people from their dogmatic slumbers. He is the David Hume of our time. And he, it, it, no one's going to know that reference except me. <laughs> That's okay. So yeah, the man of action, Ryan Phillips. I'm very excited to introduce him as our first ever guest on the Live Vegan Podcast. Welcome, Ryan. Uh, thank you so much. That was an awesome introduction, and I love the David Hume reference because, like, I I remember reading Immanuel Kant, um, and that was a reference that always would come up in Kantian philosophy because, yeah, a very famous reference. So it's great to hear someone else actually reference that. But uh, oh yeah, they you do a philosophy major. So I get it. I mean, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. You make me sound way more badass than I am. But um, I mean, like to say that I'm not shy. It's kind of here weird to hear said because of the fact that prior to fighting for animal rights, like if I had to pick one word to describe myself, it would have been shy. Like. I couldn't walk into, you know, uh, like a place of business and have someone turn and look at me without feeling like panicked. And yeah, just over time from fighting for advice has definitely got to the point where, you know, you, you walk into a place and you need to get people's attention and you, you want them to understand that you have a message you need to get across. So it's kind of like living two lives where you don't really know yourself or who you were. Like it doesn't really match up at all, but, but it's interesting to hear myself described that way for sure. <laughs> Well, it, your action is the most important, and I absolutely 
believe that you are a man of action. So you deserve those words, absolutely. Uh, so I'm curious, how do you, how did you become the the man of action now? If you were a shy activist, as you describe yourself, like how did that transition take place? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think it it was just the necessity of like feeling so passionately about something. Like my my heroes have always been the people like John Quincy Adams, um, Thaddeus Stevens, Charles Sumner. They were uh, abolitionists in the United States who fought against slavery um, at the risk of their own life and safety and with no real benefit to themselves in terms of, you know, they were mostly wealthy or wealthier white males that you weren't going to gain from fighting against slavery, but they, they knew it was the right thing to do, so they were willing to risk it all for the right thing. Like, John Quincy Adams used to get signed death threats. Um, he'd have people tell him when he was going to be killed and how they were going to kill him, and it, it didn't slow him down at all. So I think with those kind of people serving as my inspiration, it just felt like, you know, this cause that we're fighting for, animal rights, is, is definitely one of the most important, if not the most important causes of all time, because it's sort of all-encompassing of, of all other causes in a way. And so it feels like it's worth, you know, risking it all and doing anything you can, which means, you know, a lot of the time sacrificing your own comfort and your own comfort level and doing things that you would never dream of doing on a, on a normal day, but because, you know, it could benefit the animals who are going through way worse than whatever you're going to feel in that situation, you know, you, you just kind of have to do it and suck it up, so. So have you ever been, um, like you mentioned, you know, you got your safety, have you ever felt, been in a situation where you felt like you weren't safe, that you, you know, there really was uh, a risk to yourself for standing up for these beings? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, several times I've had situations, like on the corner when I was there, there was a few people who actually got out of their car and, you know, in some way uh, made it clear they were going to try to harm me. Some people would actually threaten, you know, say they were going to kill me, stuff like that. And then with Charlotte, you know, and people will say stupid stuff to her, like, oh, look, it's a bacon seed. I always call them out on it, and I don't back down. And it's, you know, it's been, like, very large, drunk males who, you know, could easily, you know, take someone of my stature down if, if they wanted to, but it's just too important to let it go and to let people think that they can bully people and, and treat animals as if their lives don't matter. And so it just feels like, uh, like I heard um, Wayne from DXE the other day talking about how you have to be willing to sacrifice, and I think that's a big part of it. You're showing people that it's important enough that you're willing for someone to punch you in the face to defend animals because it's that serious. It's not a joking matter. It's not something we can say, oh, we'll get to it later. You know, it's a right now kind of thing that we need to take of and move forward rather than backwards on. So I've definitely had people who, who have wanted to hurt me and made that quite clear. And I mean, I think I've got lucky for the most part. Like in a few cases, I've actually had to pull out mace just to like get people to back down a little. But I've never actually had to use it, fortunately. But yeah, so definitely moments where I was pretty sure, like I, I was hoping that I was filming it so my wife would know how I died. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, it's smart to have mace on you in those situations for sure. I wonder if John Quincy Adams had mace on him 
<laughs> as he walked around. <laughs> I didn't know all that, that yeah. history, so I'm going to look up uh, John Quincy Adams now, and, and that's a pretty inspiring story. So, uh, curious, when did you become aware of this problem? Like, did you grow up as a vegan? Did you grow up as a mediator? Like, at what point in your life did you become aware, and how did you become aware of it all? And yeah, how did you make that transition? Yeah, it was definitely... Uh, sort of a twist of fate. My dad actually died at the age of 63, and it was at that point I decided I didn't want to die when I was 63 and leave my kids, you know, without having their dad for the rest of their life. So I thought I would try to get healthier, and one of the things we did was watch the documentary Food, Inc., and they always say Food, Inc. is like the Disney version of Earthling, but I just remember, I guess, seeing that animals were dying, even though we all know they're dying. It's not like we're unaware of it, but we kind of block it out. But seeing it in the documentary, seeing actual, like, harm being done to animals was basically just the end for me. Because after that, I started seeking out all the information, all the videos. We watched Earthling, you know, shortly after that, within a day. And that was it. Like, I decided I was going vegan. Uh, my son decided he was going to go vegan with me. And I think he was seven at the time. My wife and my daughter said that they were going to go vegetarian. And then an hour later, they, my wife just said, we might as well just do this as a family. <laughs> and so it was it was a really quick turnaround of just, I guess, coming face to face with the reality that you knew was there and you knew it was probably bad, but you could block it out because society tells you it's okay and it's normal. And, you know, almost tells you that you'd be not normal if you cared about that or thought about that, like, you just have to block it out. So as soon as I saw it, it was done. Like, I knew I couldn't be a part of that. I couldn't support it. So that was kind of, that was the start of, you know, becoming a vegan. Becoming an activist just seemed like a natural, uh, like, a part of that, I guess. Like, you, you feel like you owe a debt. It's almost like when you go to court and they give you community service time. It's sort of a self-imposed community service that you owe to animals for all the terrible things that have happened to them because of your past actions, you know, whether you were aware or not. But it feels like we owe it to them to sort of make it right, you know, for future generations of animals. And so it is like a very quick change in terms of getting to the point where I am now where there's really nothing I fear and nothing I wouldn't do for animals. That was kind of a process of a few years of just, you know, the message thinking and, you know, solidifying sort of the philosophy of it all becoming hardened in your head to the point where you knew there was absolutely no way around the fact that veganism is the only truth that was out there that someone could end up with. And so once you get there, you realize really there's nothing you wouldn't do. So, well, I just well, want to go, I want to go back to, uh, Quickly to your, um, your 136 straight days of activism. Um, that's when I first, uh, became aware of what you were doing, Ryan. We were both a part of, uh, an activist network together. Um, I don't know if you were on day 70 or I don't know what day you're on. And I just want, uh, I wanted you to talk about that briefly because for two reasons. Um, there's a lot of people that say, I, you know, I wish I could do something, you know, like there's, there's, there needs to be more awareness about veganism in my community, but there's no organization out there. There's no one for me to join. Um, you took it upon yourself to say, I don't care if there's anybody else. I need to get out there and I need to do something. 
So what motivated you to get out there all by yourself um, and, and make sure your, you know, your whole city uh, heard and even, you know, to put yourself at, at, uh, at home like that to be, to be seen? I mean, I think that came from, and, and again, it was another gradual thing where there was, you know, not many people around that I knew that did activism, and it didn't seem to make sense to drive four hours to do something once in a while when you could just do something all the time. And so it initially started, like, as you mentioned, I, I've been kicked out of Walmart and Trader Joe's. I was banned for life in Williamsburg. And it, it started with, I would just go up to people and stores, and if they were buying, say, eggs, I'd say, oh, did you know they have to shred the male chicks to make those eggs, you know, in the egg industry? Or if they're buying milk, I'd say, oh, do you know they usually kill the, the male calf because he's not going to produce milk, so they turn him into veal, or, you know, something quick, and then I would walk away. It wasn't like a confrontation so much as a sharing information and moving on, which, you know, I knew wasn't going to be popular with the people at the those businesses, but... You know, I felt like I couldn't do nothing, and I think that is where it stemmed from, was that feeling of, I can either sit here hating myself for not doing more and hating the world for not changing, or I can just constantly be doing something to change it. And so going into stores and doing stuff like that sort of was the start of it, and then I got banned for life from Trader Joe's, and I thought, well, I can't just get banned from every store. You know, I mean, I don't mind getting banned from every store, but eventually I'm not going to be able to go in anywhere and do any good. Um, although I was unbanned after I called corporate. so And, in fact, at this point, I've been told that Charlotte is allowed in Trader Joe's. My pig is allowed in Trader Joe's anytime she wants, which is another story. But... Um, so it's sort of out of that, the idea that I wanted to always be doing something and then there's an activist, um, I know you know Ben, um, Chase, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher his last name, but Chase Evoir, out in, um, he was in Los Angeles, now he's in Berkeley. And he would always post stuff about doing activism and how veganism isn't enough, or being vegan isn't enough. And then he would always add um, protests for animals. And so whenever I would read that, you know, I'd always take it to heart. And so it was out of that that I thought, well, I can probably do a few days in a row at, like, a local restaurant by myself. And so that was the start of it. And then I went to the corner by, like, a CVS in Williamsburg, Virginia, and started doing activism there. Like, I'd, do, I'd hold signs up there, and I thought, I can make 10 days. And then after 10 days, I thought I could probably make 20. And then it just blew up into, like, why stop? I can go here every day, you know, regardless. I think there was one day when there was, like, the... It was probably just tropical forest winds, but I was holding, like, these giant signs the side of, size of, like, billboards. So it was, like, blowing me away with the rain pouring down. But I figured the people there seeing me hold those signs would take it more seriously knowing that it didn't matter what the weather was, if it was hot or if it was raining. Whatever it was, I was going to be out there making sure they knew that animals were suffering and that their choices were ultimately causing that suffering. And so... It, yeah, it's just that feeling of I need to do something because sitting here is just going to kill me. And I can't wait for someone else to get it started because then I might just sit there forever. Or, yeah, you're driving four hours to try to join in with something that may or may not happen, you know, very often. Well, I have a visual picture of you holding uh, a, a big sign through, like, a hurricane force wind and, and just <laughs> holding your ground. Like, <laughs> I'm not stopping. <laughs> It's great. There was a few times that blew out of my hands and flew in front of cars, and I was 
stupidly would charge in front of the cars to get the signs as if I was protecting, like, the signs for some reason. I don't know what the, the thought process there was, but, yeah, no, I mean, it, it was definitely, uh, like, an endurance challenge, and, I mean, it was great because on day 100, which was actually Christmas Eve, um, like, I have a friend that works at PETA and invited a whole bunch of people to come out and join as, like, a surprise for day 100. And so he managed to get 22 people to come. And then they saw the weather was going to be rainy and cold. And so, like, you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't go. Maybe he's not going to be there. Like, they weren't sure. And I guess um, my friend Jordan, that um, he lives out in that area, and he goes to PETA to the work party class. His mother-in-law, who's in her 80s, stood up and said she was going to be there. And, she, and when everyone saw this 80-plus-year-old you know, plus year old woman say she was going to be out there in the rain and the cold, they knew they had to be there. So... They all showed up, and we had a huge crowd of people out there for day 100. Wow, fantastic. So I'm quest- uh, I have a question about how or why you ended. And you said you, you got to day 100 and then day 120. And then so was it just like a natural end, or was there something that happened that, that forced you to end it at day 136? I mean, it's... I probably would have just kept going. I mean, there was definitely, you know, my wife was assuming that I was going to die any day because I'd had one person pretend to pull a gun on me and the one person get out of his car and charge at me with his fist up and only back down when I pulled out mace. So it seemed like more and more, like, people were just, like, I think in part it was just probably people were talking about it and, they didn't like the fact that there was, you know, sort of a counter message to the, it's okay to, you know, harm animals. And so people were just getting a little more aggressive, which, you know, to some degree you're ready for because that shows, it shows the world just how stupid people can be in regards to something that's indefensible. Like they're acting from a guttural reaction that, you know, I want to defend my cruelty in any way I can because I don't want it to stop. I don't want to miss out. So there was that pressure, but I don't think that would have stopped me. But I, at the same time, I had just adopted um, Pumpkin, who was a breeder pig um, for pets, and so they were possibly just going to put her to sleep because they were done breeding her. And so we adopted her and brought home her baby Charlotte with her. And I started taking them to the college campus, and I had so many people say to me, you know, meeting Charlotte made them want to go vegan or vegetarian or stop eating pork or just a whole assortment of things. And I thought, you know, rather than stand on a corner where I'm not sure how I'm impacting people, essentially getting myself killed, versus taking Charlotte out and spending more time with her on a college campus where she's getting to eat grass, she's perfectly happy, and people just seeing her are being inspired to change how they live and and it's much more positive and far less likely that I'll die. It seemed like it made more sense. Like, I mean, I could have been stubborn and just gone to the corner just to prove I didn't care. And, you know, there's definitely a part of me that could do that. But it seemed like the best thing for animals was if I went to the corner, I mean, went to the, like, college or Colonial Williamsburg is down the street, and it's a huge tourist attraction. So people from around the world meet Charlotte. They see the vegan buttons on her. It just seemed like it was going to be a way more effective way to sell the message and also make it home at night so that my wife didn't have to watch a video on, like, my, you know, video sunglasses that I wear sometimes to capture how I die for her. Oh, no. So now you're, now you're two minutes across America. 
with the page. Yeah, that's right. So what's, uh, what's it like? Uh, yeah, where, where are you right now? Where, where are you calling us from? We are somewhere like on our way towards Oklahoma City. <laughs> uh, we've been driving pretty much nonstop. My friend Jamie Freed with me. Um, we left like 2 o'clock on Monday. We drove pretty much all day. Until I think I stopped at five in the morning, and then we got up at about eight thirty and started up again, and then have been driving all day. So we are somewhere in Oklahoma. We left Williamsburg, Virginia, and we're headed to Berkeley, California, to be a part of the Animal Rights March, which you know it stems from like my feeling that we need animals that we're fighting for to be more visual in our movement because. You know, I think a lot of times the people that are our opponents that stand against what we're trying to fight for try to focus on the animal rights activists, on vegans, and try to, like, make it about us when it's it's not about us. It's clearly about the animals. And so if Charlotte's there representing what we're fighting for, who we're fighting for, you know, it shows people, you know, this isn't about vegans. It's not about activists. You can hate us. It doesn't change the fact that what you're doing to Charlotte and, you know, the animals like Charlotte is wrong. And so we're hoping to sort of impart that message by being present at the DXE Convergence out in Berkeley, California. Nice. So so uh, how do the pigs like traveling? Oh, wait, sorry, what did you say? How do the pigs like traveling? Oh, they're awesome at it. Like, especially we're in, like, an RV and so in the RV, like right behind the driver's seat, like the floor kind of heats up from, I don't know, I, I don't understand cars at all, but some, some sort of gears are going on under there, I guess. And it heats the floor up, so they just cozy up there and they fall asleep. Like, I don't think we've heard them, like, wake up other than when they hear us stop. They both kind of let us know that they'd like something to eat, and that's pretty much the only sounds they make. And then we let them out and they eat some grass and they're happy, and then they go right back to sleep as soon as we drive, so... Like, they make it way, way too easy. Like, sometimes we forget they're there because they're so quiet and so so chill about it. Yeah, I'm going to use that analogy with my kids, or that uh, that example with my kids. I have to know, look, Ryan travels with two pigs across the entire country, and they're being good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, they really are just so easygoing. We left Millie, um, our third pig, who's, we call her our oops piglet because we weren't planning to have any more pigs in our condo that we live in. But uh, someone needed homes for 50 pigs. A friend of ours tried to adopt Millie and it didn't work out. So we sort of watched her for a few days and they had found another home for her. And we just said, no, we're not letting Millie leave. So she stayed. Oh. And so now we have another another pig that lives in our condo with us. And they they're definitely a family. Like, when Millie screams, like, if someone's, like, bothering her, I pick her up, which she hates to be picked up still, but um, Pumpkin gets up, and she just charges over, and she's ready to, you know, tear into whoever's, you know, harming her, you know, second daughter that's been added to the, the herd, so, like, yeah, so traveling with them is a breeze, but Millie's a little more difficult, because she's still really young, she's only five months old, so she's at home with our Yorkie. And my wife and kids snuggled up somewhere. So, so I was I actually worked undercover on a hog farm, and the one thing that I noticed was how intelligent the the hogs were. And I had always heard that they're more intelligent than dogs, um, but I actually got that was the first time I I had the chance to to see just how intelligent they are. So, uh, how do you feel about? Pigs 
and their intelligence now after spending so much time with them. Oh yeah, I mean you you see it right away. Like we we brought Pumpkin home. She had lived in a barn her whole life for like five years. You know, never lived indoors. And the first day we brought her in, she immediately got what it was like to live inside the house. She used the litter box. Never had an issue after the first day. Like there was no no training her. She just knew what to do. She knew not to destroy things in the house. She sort of figured out the rules. Like she was very quick to just sort of adapt. And I think that's one of the big things when they talk about, you know, animal intelligence, you know, even with humans, it's like our ability to sort of manipulate our environment to sort of suit, like, our, you know, desire to be happy and to live. And so, like, her and Charlotte immediately made themselves at home. They figured out how the house worked and how they could get comfortable. And, you know, that was, like, really quick. And then as far as Charlotte, you know, she was six weeks old when we brought her home, still nursing on her mom. And teaching her, you know, stuff like sit and shake and spin, you know, took no time at all. Like, it was, it seemed almost instantaneous. It was within, like, a day or two that she was picking up on it and able to do that sort of stuff. And so, I, comparing that to any, you know, dog that I've lived with in the past, I've never had them pick up on things so quickly. And certainly not our Yorkie. Like, she, she still thinks the carpet is grass. So, like, pigs definitely <laughs> are our world's ahead of her, and but, you know, I think, I think with Yorkies, their goal was cute, not so much, uh, you know, <laughs> solving serious riddles or anything like that. But um, I may be wrong on that. I don't want to judge Yorkies harshly there, but but yeah, pigs definitely they they in all kinds of ways just subtly let you know that they're aware of everything going on in terms of you know instantly knowing their name and you know, recognizing when you hit the, like, last speed bump that you're home and ready to get out of the car or stuff like that where it definitely shows there's an awareness of their um, environment. And another thing that we, we try to notice are little things that show, I, I don't know, like when people try to talk about why humans are so special and, like, we can empathize and stuff like that. And so we always pick up on things like Charlotte will run over when her mom's being brushed. And just watching her mom be brushed gives her like what's called a happy mohawk, where she they get a mohawk when they like with when something's happening, and so she gets a mohawk just from watching her mom be brushed. She doesn't even have to be brushed herself, and so stuff wow. like that, where they just kind of pick up on each other's, you know, they're aware of each other and they care about each other. Um, and I remember when we first brought Charlotte home, we wanted to have you know a little bit of alone time with the piglet. You know, she was just really cute and fun. And mom was a little iffy about us because she thought we were going to take her baby away from her like every baby before. So we would take her to another room and you could see them, or you could hear them communicate with each other where at first it would start off as just a, everything's okay, like happy grunts. And then as it went on, you could hear Charlotte kind of say, you know, I'm ready to go back to my mom. And then mom would get a little louder and then she'd make a noise, and then you'd hear mom just, like, beating on the gate to let her let us know it's time to ring my baby back. And so, you know, definitely full-on communication between them in terms of how they were feeling and what they wanted. And so, you know, you, you definitely pick up on it. I, and, you know, it's hard when you don't speak their language. You can't really – you can't give them an SAT-type test and see where they stand. But it's definitely – it's definitely evident to you. And I think that ties into how they, you know, they say, like, dogs worship humans, but 
pigs will treat you as their equal. And you definitely feel that too. Like they, they don't treat you like you're the king of the house. Like it's their house as much as it's your house. And, you know, they own whatever space on the couch they're in as much as you do. So if they get there first, you know, you just better cuddle up next to them and not try to move them because, you know, like they very much feel like they're part of the family 100%. So. Yeah, isn't that, uh, wasn't that Churchill that said, uh, I like pigs because dogs look, dogs look up to us, cats look down on us, and pigs treat us as their equals? Yeah, it, that's, that's definitely true. I just want to, uh, I just want to touch on some of, uh, your other activism too. I, I know you've done so much, so I know there's no way, um, that we're going to get through everything. Um, but you wrote a children's book. You wrote a book about uh, a friend of mine, uh, an inspiration of mine, Nita Krantz, um, who founded the SAVE movement. Um, what what possessed you to write a, a children's book? Like you go from standing on a street corner holding a sign to, I'm going to write a book and for kids and do some illustrations. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like there was, I guess, like a, a hole in the sort of children's literature world for, like, real books about activism almost where, you know, there's a lot of stuff where it's talking about why you'd be vegan or, you know, a little bit about what happens to animals. But there wasn't really anything about what what we can do about it. And so I thought it would be cool if kids could read the story of how Anita was, you know, willing to risk, you know, her freedom and her, her you know, just normality of life and, and risk that and possibly go to jail or, you know, end up getting fined because she knew it was the right thing to do to stand up for animals. And I thought it's the perfect message. It's the kind of message that, you know, we sell kids and stuff like Charlotte's Web and Babe, but we never really tell a real story like that because we want at the end of the day to forget Babe and to forget Charlotte and then to go eat Babe and Charlotte because it's convenient if they can sort of wipe that away as just like fantasy. And I think with, Anita's story, because it's true and because it's what's really happening in the world, hopefully, it, my hope was that it'd be harder for kids to just sort of brush it off as, okay, I love pigs and books, and now I'm going to go eat them, you know, because bacon, you know, on the table. So, and that plus I love using, like, there's, like, markers called Copic markers, and so they just, I like doing bright, colorful illustrations, and it seemed like a good way to sort of tie that in but still be doing something useful to the cause because there's so much to do for animal rights. It, it feels like you can't do anything as long, unless it's in some way geared towards helping animals because you need at least, you know, 48 hours a day to come even close to doing the stuff you want to do. And so it's just a nice way to tie in a desire to do art, but a desire to fight for animal rights. And so I thought it, it would be a good way. And plus with traveling, you know, with the pigs, it definitely tied in, you know, which is sort of accidental, but it's something I can take along. Like, we've been to some elementary schools, and I can bring that book to share with them. And so, yeah, it, it was just a, a way to reach kids since you can't really... It, it's harder to direct your activism at kids without yeah, parents sure. becoming hostile. So is this is this book uh, still in, in publication? Can people get, get this book now? Yeah, you can definitely pick it up on um, uh, Chapters Indigo in Canada, and then uh, in the United States, you can order it on Amazon. And it's uh, Anita's story, Compassion is Not a Crime. Like, like I don't think they put the search word as Anita Crunch, and so, like, when 
you look it up, like, for some reason, and it seems pretty key, and I think I wrote to them asking them to add that, but it's sort of semi-self-published, and so, like, we kind of crowdfunded a lot of it so that basically the rest of the copies is needed. You know, we could give the kids who seems like, you know, there was a spark there of compassion that could be kindled, and so, you know, when I meet kids while I'm out with Charlotte, and it seems like they have that kind of compassion in them and the family that's going to, you know, not try to squash it. You try to get a book into their hands just by giving it to them in the hopes that that will be, you know, transformative for them. Yeah, I'm sure the sequel will be interested. So maybe we can post it somewhere uh, on a, or one of our page or social media pages or I don't know if we can post it on the uh, the iTunes or, or whatnot. Yep, but, I can uh, link it in the description. No problem. Yeah, cool. That'd be great. So a question, uh, Ryan, I see when you were at day 136, again, and I, I love this story because I feel like there are so many activists out there who feel like they're on day 136. <laughs> if they're not, maybe they just feel like they are. And you were able to take that leap and try a different strategy that turned out to be a much more effective strategy. So I, I really applaud you for that, and I think that that is the right move because a lot of times we sort of get stuck in activism that isn't necessarily working. And I'm not saying that your 136 days was not effective, but you found a more effective way, you know, your own words. And so that is is sort of a, a lesson, I think, that we can take from, from your story as activists. Like, look, sometimes there's an even better way, a more effective way to reach out to people. So I, I guess my question would be, what would you suggest uh, for the regular everyday person? Maybe they're not ready to stand on a street street corner for, you know, a hundred plus days, or maybe they're not willing or able to adopt pigs and travel throughout the country, <laughs> uh, which are all great things. And if you can do it, more power to you. Absolutely. The, the more people out there with pigs, I think the better, especially spreading the message that you're spreading. But uh, what would you suggest for like maybe an activist listening um, or, or maybe just a vegan or a curious vegan, someone who, who wants to do more and help out? I mean, I think I always start with telling people to just, like, you know, if you can get a sign and go to, like, just go to the end of your driveway for five minutes, even if you don't see a car go by, just because what you quickly, for most people, you'll quickly realize is it really isn't as bad as you as you think it's going to be. And you're not, like, you're less likely to be intimidated and want to back down and more likely to almost feel inspired and empowered by the fact that you're there. And you'll probably find that your five minutes turns into two hours but just start with some goal that seems like nothing to you. It seems just minuscule, but once you do it, you've made that first step. And I think once you take that leap, you'll end up making it way farther than you ever dreamed you would because you you quickly realize how much courage you do have because of, and I think it's solely because of how powerful the message is. You know, like there's so many things I would never do in a million years, like even to this day, if it wasn't for the fact that I knew the cause was so important. And so I think, you know, if people can just pick something and, and you know, it doesn't have to be like trying to change the world that day, but like I say, just go to a corner and let one car pass while you hold a sign and that'd be your goal for day one. 
and then try two the next day or, or whatever it is you want to do yeah. and just build up because, I mean, that's what it was for me. I said, you know, Chase is challenging the world to, you know, get active. I'm going to go, you know, do this and I'm going to try to, you know, do day one and then I'm going to try to do 10 days. And, you know, I never started thinking I'm just going to go out there and be out there for over a hundred days. It was just, I'm going to, I'm going to take that first step and see where I land. And that's, you know, how I ended up there. And then, like yeah. you say, don't be afraid to change it if it's not working. You definitely don't want to feel like your efforts are not doing anything and then just burn out on that. Like, it's almost like you should change it every few months so that you are inspired by what you're doing. I mean, with the pigs, it never gets old seeing people light up when they see pigs in it. You know, ev- everyone from the most, you know, expected people like kids to completely unexpected people like, you know, no offense to old men, but, you know, they're typically not our audience in terms of who we think we can reach the easiest. And even you'll have, you know, like 80, 90-year-old men just completely smitten with Charlotte and, you know, much more receptive to the idea that we shouldn't eat animals than they ever would have been had I just walked up to them with a sign or tried to sell them the message. You know, they, they would have immediately probably recoiled and gone into that, you know, I'm too old to care. But they meet Charlotte and it's a whole different story. And so you never know when you're going to stumble upon that thing that, that works better for you and for the cause. You know, with with Charlotte, it's it's always fun. She enjoys getting to eat grass and run around and meet people, and I enjoy the fact that you know I, I don't die, and it seems really really effective. You know, I remember when I did protests, the percentage of positive reactions versus negative reactions was uh, the positive far outweighed the negative for me. Was was it the same for you? Did, did you find that more oh, yeah. people are positive? And how would you quantify that? Would you say like 60%, 40%? Probably, I mean, most days I'd say, you know, it was like 80, 20 in terms of positives and negatives. And, and a lot of times the negative is so ridiculous, you almost enjoy it as, you know, you get past that initial like, oh, you know, what an ass. And you just start, I don't know, like I have once had a woman tell me that I look like a Muslim because I was holding the sign of a pig and President Obama wanted to splice humans and pigs together. And since I was holding a pig sign, that made me a Muslim. I guess he was a Muslim. Which I have no idea where any of that logic stems from. But, but, you, you know, like, some interesting characters. Like, yeah, like, it's just, you're like, wow, that's, like, that's awesome that you're, like, that <laughs> crazy. <laughs> you felt the need to say that. And, like, we're very impassioned about it. And it's just absurd. But, so I, I, I always mean, say that. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I always say that uh, the people that don't care don't comment. So when someone is saying something, it means that what you're doing is working, and it's effective, and it's got to do them. Absolutely, yeah. When people yell they love bacon, you know that if nothing more, you've riled them, and they're thinking about it. And, I mean, the worst-case scenario is they really don't agree with you, but they go tell someone that they don't agree with you, and then that person thinks about it and thinks, well, it is pretty, you know, crappy what we're doing to pigs. And so they change someone accidentally, sort of vicariously through, you know, it's like when people post on, like, vegan sites and they're trying to be jerks and they post all the stuff, like, or they'll post pictures of me. You know, they're just making more people see our posts. And so there's really no bad side to people reacting to you other than if you just, you know, don't like negative reactions. But, 
I always like to play a game where I change what they say and try to figure out some way it was positive or, you know, if you can twist it so that you heard it as, like, they were complimenting the cause in some way. And, you know, especially if you have someone that's there with you, you can make it into kind of a joke. It, it makes it way more fun, but... Yeah, I just want to give you a chance. Uh, I don't know how much time we got left, but uh, something I know that, that you're pretty passionate about is this uh, uh, this this new event, this Rise Up, Shut Them Down. So, what tell us about that? What is Rise Up, Shut Them Down? So, what it is, uh, my friend Daisha is like organizing it, but like it started as the idea that we are going to show up as slaughterhouses on February first and try to, uh, it's a day to, um, there was an activist named Jill who was hit by a truck in England, and she was killed trying to protest the live export there, and so uh, she died, you know, doing activism, and I think Daisha was kind of frustrated that every year on this day, the only thing that would happen is people would, you know, pass around a meme representing what she had done. And to Daisha, it seemed like we should be doing something on that day. We should be out there doing what she was doing, you know, getting in front of trucks, stopping, you know, animals from being abused. And so it also stems from the idea that we've been asking nicely and people keep saying, oh, you need to be polite, you need to be, you know, patient, while, you know, billions of animals are dying. And so her philosophy is we've asked nice, now it's time we start demanding that things change. And so the goal is to get enough people to encircle the entire slaughterhouse in Tar Hill, Virginia. There's a pig slaughterhouse there, which is the largest in the United States, I believe. It's 35,000 pigs a day that die there. I think it's like 180 trucks go by each day filled with these pigs. And I was just there the other day, and seeing these pigs, their eyes are just rolled back in their head from the heat. They're gasping for air because they're packed in so tight. I mean, it's the most horrendous thing you can see. And then you just feel powerless. Like, you just have to say, yeah, sorry, now you go die, and I'm just going to stand here on the corner, you know, feeling crappy about it. And so I think the hope is at least for one day, if you can get enough people to show up there and and stand together, hold hands, and circle this place, and there's going to be other locations around the world that are doing it, so if you can't make it there... But if you can make it there to be a part of this and be um, the director of Earthling is going to be there filming it. Um, Anita is going to come down for it as well from Big Save. And so the idea is if we can show up in such numbers, there really isn't anything law enforcement can do other than maybe arrest a few people. But they can't arrest a thousand people. And if you can show that power to vegans out there, that we can stop this, we can make the world change, then the world's going to start to change because instead of thinking, well, you know, it's beyond our control, someday things will change, or maybe when we have, you know, the lab-grown meat, it'll change. You know, there's always something that that next thing's going to be the thing. And, you know, if seeing what happens inside a slaughterhouse on, you know, YouTube hasn't changed the world, there's really nothing that's going to change the world short of us changing it. And so it's kind of throwing down the gauntlet or drawing the line in the sand and saying, after this day, you know, things will never be the same. You know, we can ask nicely until we're blue in the face, and you're going to keep just patting us on the back and say, yeah, that's the way we want you to do it. But if we actually show what strength we have in numbers, you know, there's, I believe, two police officers in Tar Hill, Virginia, on duty at any given time. 
So they're going to have to call in reinforcements. They're going to have to basically do a whole lot to stop the activism, which in turn is going to bring a whole lot of attention to the activism. It's going to be in the newspapers. And then people are going to have to start thinking about why is it that people care this much? They're willing to do this. Why are they willing to, you know, potentially risk jail? And most people, you know, there's no risk, like, as long as you're just one of the people there showing support, which is, you know, the bulk of what we need is just people there showing support. And there may be some people that block the trucks, but you can be there and not in any way put yourself in a position where you could end up in jail. But... So where do people of, find out more about this? Just uh, on Facebook, Rise Up, Shut Them Down, and they should get to the... Yeah, uh, if you look up Rise Up, Shut Them Down, and then the main event is in Tar Hill, so if you look up main event, in addition to Rise Up, Shut Them Down, like that should pull up, um, like the main event. And then there's also, like I said, there's ones across the country. I think there's going to be one in L.A. that I believe Lola K is organizing, and then... um like there's one guy like it seems like they're across the country. I don't have them all memorized. I'm not even yeah. some in, okay. You know, we'll link them all. We'll link them all for you. In absolutely the, love that. In the description. So uh, thank you so much, Ryan. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. I, I know you took the time out to. You're literally doing activism right now. You're driving to a place to talk to people about animal rights with pigs in your car, and you're taking time out to talk to us. And it's a really inspiring story about, you know, just taking that first step and doing what you can do and then just pushing it to the next limit. And it's all because you care, because you have empathy, and it's all for the greater good, all for a better future for animals. And uh, you said it so well, so I hope that we can actually change the world together. We We know we can. We just have to do it, right? <laughs> Again, back to that oh, intellect the intellectualization of our ideas and then actually changing our behavior, actually doing it, actually getting out there. Like we know what we need to do. So let's take that first step. Let's actually make some change and let's change the world together. Uh, thanks so much, Ryan. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me. And like anytime I'd love to come back. So yeah, this was fun. And yeah, I mean, I think if there was a least, likely person to be doing what I'm doing. I can't think of anyone more or less likely than myself. Like I'm I'm definitely not the like activist and, and making from childhood. It was definitely uh you know, it's just this important. So when people say, Oh, I'm just not brave enough or, you know, I could never do that, like I I can like verify from experience that's not true. You know, like anyone anyone can get to the point where they just They've had enough of letting it happen, and and you just feel like you've got to do it. So it's just taking that first step for sure. Awesome, inspiring as always. Thank you. Awesome, Ryan. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. We'll link all your info in uh, in the description, and we'll give you a shout out to all your events coming up, including your book. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. All right, Ryan. Drive safe. All right. Thank you. So. That was a great interview. Yeah, that was that was awesome. That's uh, uh, that's why I was excited to have Ryan on because he's uh, he's a pretty inspiring guy, and I, I didn't know that he wasn't that he was a shy guy that overcame it and became who he was today. So that was uh, that was pretty cool to hear, and hopefully, uh, you know, at least one person heard that and thought, you know what, I probably can do this. Yeah, it's inspiring for all the activists, especially the shy ones, uh, and I actually consider 
myself to be shy still a little bit now, but definitely as a kid, I was really, really shy. Um, and so eventually, I don't know, you just sort of grow out of it or you just face the fear and you, you take little baby steps and you do more and more and more. Um, so I'm glad that he worded it that way and admitted that he is actually a shy person because it doesn't seem that way based on his ass. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> no. I know what I love this advice about, you know, go, just go to the corner of the, go to the end of your driveway and hold up a sign for five minutes and then, you know, maybe go to the end of the street. Like that was, yeah. that's something I ever thought about before. I'm like, you know, that's awesome advice. And then eventually approach someone at Trader Joe's and say, <laughs> and get fans for life. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have someone right. pretend to pull a gun out on you. Yeah, so. So, uh, we're going to do the current events of the week. What, what happened this week, and What was in the news? Well, the, uh, the big thing that um, is causing quite a debate in the activist community is in Finland, Mc- their uh, McDonald's is deciding to test out a vegan burger to, I guess, in yeah, one I... one store in Finland to see if it sells, and then maybe they'll uh, they'll throw it out into uh, into all their stores. And this um, it's causing quite a debate on whether or not we should support McDonald's. Yeah, I definitely heard about this. <laughs> it's kind of impossible not to hear about it. And it's interesting because it's just one store, and it's in Finland, and it's just one item. Yeah, why uh, Finland? They, they chose to test this out, and let's okay. If people in Finland like the vegan burger, then we get to try it in Canada, and the U.S., and Britain, and Australia. I, I don't know why Finland, but yeah, interesting. So my first take on this was pretty, pretty clean and cut, and and concise. Like, okay, more vegan options in the world, great. End of story. I'm happy. Thumbs up. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not so easy. And 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 I kept reading a lot more of the articles as they popped up in my newsfeed and and uh, people debating over it. And so it is a bit more complex than just that. Uh, of course, more vegan options in the world is better. But the question is whether we should be as a as a vegan community, as an AR community, supporting McDonald's for now having launched this this vegan burger. Um, and so it became a little tricky for me to, to answer it because, I mean, the point is McDonald's has been abusing and, and causing all kinds of suffering for animals for how many years? 30 plus, 40 plus years, uh, however long they've been in existence. And so they're supporting animal cruelty to a level that, you know, it's just, too much for us to look past and to ignore simply because they launched one <laughs> one McVegan burger in one country, you know, just once. Uh, so I, I totally get that point. We we can't just now open up our arms and say, "Come here, McDonald's. We love you now. Yeah, you know, yeah. don't worry all about all that. Other, yeah, don't worry about all that other stuff you you did and continue to do. By the way, um, so I, I definitely get uh, both sides of the argument and I well what do you feel what do you think then all right well here's my take on it personally I would I I usually I I tend to um support the fully vegan companies the fully vegan restaurants if I had two two restaurants side by side one was vegan and one was all flesh and you know one vegan option or even if they had a few vegan options I I'm 
you know, it's my money and I don't want to support someone who's taking that money and then going out and buying pig carcasses. Sure. That being said, that's my personal um, philosophy. And there are many, many people that will say, no, we need to support these because we need it to be in the mainstream. And I understand that. And what bothers me about this whole debate is we don't know what the right answer is. Uh, you know, there's the economics of it. You know, what is going to create the the most long-term change? Like, what big picture, what's going to make the biggest difference? And we don't know. I mean, we, we could have an economist on to discuss this. And even then, it's not it's not fact. So there's no fact that's saying, you know, if you support McDonald's, you know, more beings are going to die or veganism is going to take longer. And, and there's no, there's no fact saying that, you know, if, if you only eat at vegan restaurants and, and, and shop, you know, and buy from vegan companies that that's going to take longer or that's going to be quicker or whatnot. So I, I just, I, too many people are, are, you know, passing themselves off as, as experts and, and economics experts. Yeah. And they're just not. So we don't know. So, you know, my, my, my choice is I'm going to try and support, you know, fully vegan companies. And, and what I'm finding here is, you know, people are like, oh no, I can never support McDonald's. I can never support McDonald's. And then they'll go buy a, a veggie burger from Burger King. And, and if you're going to take that stand, great, great. Like I, I support you and, and you know, and maybe that's the right answer, but be consistent. Don't, you know, people are, are boycotting Ben and Jerry's because it's a dairy company. It's owned by Unilever, but then they'll buy So Delicious ice cream, which is owned by Danone, which is, you know, makes yogurt and, and, and tons of dairy products. So I'm just urging people, if you're going to take pick a side on this, just be consistent with it. Yeah, so what Ben's saying is, we have no idea what to think of. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, we really don't. And, and and like you said, even if we had an economist, an expert in the field uh, on telling us what to do, he might be wrong. So it's really it's really tricky. Uh, and as you mentioned, like with the example, so delicious, there's just animal agriculture is so embedded in our society, and not just in food, right? I mean, it's in what birth control pills, it's in tires, it's like, like it's everywhere, and it's so it's so hard to to escape it completely. Um, so we do the best that we can with the choices that we have available. And I guess if I find myself in a McDonald's, which I actually do go to McDonald's sometimes to. Um, use their Wi-Fi or their restroom. <laughs> Maybe I'll grab a coffee uh, if I, but I don't even like their coffee to be honest, but I never buy their food. But if I was in a position where, I don't know, a whole bunch of people were buying food at McDonald's and they happened to have a McVegan burger, I, I, <laughs> I can't imagine there's no other place to eat around, but uh, maybe I would try it. You know, maybe I would. Um, but, of course, it wouldn't be my first choice. It, assuming there's a vegan restaurant across the street, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going to give my money first. Um, so, yeah, I guess I guess to each his own, but let's be consistent. Let's definitely support vegan products wherever they may be. And the more vegan stuff, the better. But uh, McDonald's, you are not off the hook. You are still a dick. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, my, my worry products, but you know, 
you know, my worry too is that we're like, oh, we got to support these mainstream vegan products. Well, then these smaller vegan companies are go out of business, and then you know, economically, we can look at that and say, look, the vegan companies can't even survive. Veganism is not is not big enough. It's not mainstream. So yeah, you know, I worry. What's what's yeah. worse if, if McDonald's says, ah, vegans wouldn't buy our, our burger, or if they stop shopping at the uh, you know the place across the street that is all vegan? So. All right, so today you have something for me. It's uh, an excuse of the day. Our, gonna, our excuse of the day. And, you uh, surprised me, you said. Yeah, so we decided We decided this week, uh, we'll see how this goes, but I wasn't going to give Kevin a, a heads up on what the excuse of the day was, and we're going to make him uh, think on his feet here. So today's excuse is, yeah, but I only eat humanely raised animals. All mine are grass that grass fed and free range and hormone free. Mm. Wow, <laughs> Good. Yeah. that's ethical. Well, yeah, I get that. I get that one a lot, actually. I, I actually get that probably more than anything else these days. Um, well, here's the problem with that argument: ninety nine percent of all meat produced. I think it's more than ninety nine percent, so less than one percent is is made in a quote unquote humane way. Uh, but so not mine. Than, Mine's humane. Mine's mine's humane. Oh, I make sure I, I know. I know the farmer. He lives down the street. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, assuming that you only ate just from that farmer one hundred percent of the time. Um, but I mean, just Google humanely killed animals. <laughs> I mean, there's there's your answer there. Uh, you'll be able to see it yourself. It, it might be. A bit better, and this is coming from my experience on factory farms, it might be a bit better in terms of animal welfare for a certain period of time while they're actually on the farm. You know, they might have more space. They might have more access to things on the farm. Um, but I've seen pictures and videos of, uh, quote-unquote, free-range chicken farms, and they look pretty identical. They look almost exactly the same as, as the, the factory farm style. So if you think about it from the the corporate standpoint and and profit is the primary motivator, you know, they can slap a a sticker on whatever they're selling and now charge more money and get more people to buy it. And what what did they increase the square footage by two square feet, you know, for the entire farm and they have one fewer chicken in, in the entire place? So... That's the problem there. And then also, you're taking a life. It's still unnecessary. Eating plant-based whole foods diet is definitely the better way to go because of health, because of the environment. And you're not taking a life unnecessarily. Um, So obviously, that's the best thing to do. Uh, I almost want to make the point of of McDonald's. It's like getting a little, little tiny bit better there. (laughs) Uh, but you're, so still, you're still not, not off the hook. Exactly. Yeah. Still not off the hook. Yeah. So uh, that's where I would go. And I, and I always try to point out that more than 99% of the meat produced in the USA, I guess in North America is, is factory farmed. So it's done the, the, the not humane way. If there is such a thing as a humane way. Yeah. And, and is, and is the, is what's important that, you know, there, if it was you and you were running around the field before, you know, you're murdered at, you know, in infancy, like as, as a baby, um, are you okay just because, you know, you got to, maybe you got to live in a nice house for a while? 
And well, yeah, you know, are you okay with somebody? Yeah, if someone if someone cuddled you before they slit your throat, like would that would that make it better? Like it, it, this fact that it, it matters at all how this this being lived before they were you know killed as a as a baby uh, is just it's just ridiculous. Like that's not the point. The point isn't that you know the way they're treated. The point is that they're killed when they do not need to be. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, your your description uh is pretty pretty descriptive um uh, it's almost <laughs> like uh like taking uh, a rich white kid from a rich country and another kid from a different country that is not so well off and then saying look i killed this one that's much better right and uh, <laughs> uh, the one that's well off he was uh, happy Right, he was happier, so and therefore, so yeah. Uh, so awesome! Thank you for surprising me. That was you did well. You did I, very well. well. It's not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, so I have something for you. So I'm going to surprise you now. All right. And last time, time? You were, yeah, last time you remember the the answer was bananas. Um, so this could be any fruit or vegetable. Or grain. Okay. And I'm going to list off some benefits, and you're going to guess. Okay. I am, I, I'm just going to say up front, I, am, I try to eat well. I am far from a nutrition expert, so this, okay. this, could, be, this could be a little embarrassing. <laughs> All right. This one protects your heart. It prevents constipation. It improves your lung capacity. And... It cushions your joints. Uh, prunes. No. Yes, I will give you one more clue. Okay. It is. It is red. Well, not always. <laughs> it's red, but not an apple. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Good. Yeah. <laughs> that was a giveaway. It's red, but not always. Okay. Yeah. Good job. You always get it on the second clue. So, uh, thank you guys for listening. We hope you got some value from episode two in the Mid Vegan Podcast. Next week, we will be interviewing AJ Garcia, who is the president of CARE, Coexistence of Animal Rights on Earth, which is based in Seoul, South Korea. He has some amazing stories to share with us. Um, so another activist that is out there spreading the message and trying to get people to be enlightened and to become activists themselves. Uh, so again, thank you guys for listening and we hope to see you guys next time. Awesome. And live vegan. <laughs>